on today's episode of Heritage Hunters. It was a really big deal and in its day, it's wiped out by fire and then it just gets forgotten. Ian Evans joins us today from Canada. Ian is currently researching the town of Little Bay, Newfoundland. Many genealogists conduct a one-place study to learn about their family history. Ian has been learning about the culture. Join us as he discusses his research of this tiny mining town and his connections to Bayonne, New Jersey. My name is Ian Evans, and I'm studying the history of a 19th century mining town in Newfoundland called Little Bay. My background is in sociology. I approach this work a little bit unusually. I got into it starting with my mother's genealogy. And the contrast between the Little Bay, if you were there today, you have a small coastal forgotten village with 100 people in it. During the boom years of the mine, you had over 2,000 people which are going to be small to your ears, but by Newfoundland standards at that time would have made it one of the larger places on the island. And international media coverage, it was a really big deal. And in its day, it's wiped out by fire and then it just gets forgotten. I just stumbled upon this missing piece of Newfoundland history and I became enthralled by it. So I've been excessively researching it for the better part of the last eight years. It's in tracing the families and their genealogies that I end up in, I end up in other places, which is what brought me to you. Tell me a little bit about your research and how did you get started with it? Well, it started, I was just in grad school. I wasn't working and I was staying at my parents' cabin, which is in a town called St. Patrick's, which would have been a district of Little Bay back in the day. And they're different towns now. I just started working on my mother's genealogy as a side project. And I got back into her great grandparents. And you need some context for Newfoundland. So the history that we're taught for the most part, especially in the 1920s, you get the depression and you get the representation of the goofy newfie in public media. And we're not generally presented in that era as being posh and well-read. And then when I got back into this history, I found, first of all, it was a German upper class, which we don't have here, and a literate population and three resident journalists and everything was very well recorded. So the whole thing just gets wiped out by fire in 1904. Then... Because the upper class was gone, there was nobody there to record the history. It just turned into an oral history of this had once been a big place and it had been destroyed by a fire. I just found it fascinating. And I love the town. I have ties to it from my childhood summers. So I just started bringing it all back together. Can you tell me a little bit about your mom's genealogy? I got back to her great-grandfather. And this is my original tie-in to this. He was a man named John Stewart, who was the mining captain of the mine. When I started to dig into him a little bit, he was rather international. He'd been to the United States. He'd been to Australia. And this was in stark contrast to what I understood about Newfoundland towns at that time. There was a cosmopolitan element that was like, almost jarring. And then I started to explore the other people, the other institutions draw it together. Just as an interesting side note, my mother, she passed away a couple of years ago. After she passed, and was because we had the DNA test and everything sent in, and it turned out that she wasn't the biological child of her father. Then you go back another generation, and there was another person who wasn't. You have infidelity happening in multiple generations. So this man that was my tie-in, that person that drew me to this research that I've been obsessed with for almost a decade, is no longer <laughs> actually related to me. <laughs> what were they able to mine up there? Copper and a little bit of gold. You're on the center of Newfoundland to the north along the coastline. 
And mm-hmm. so you get around, you get back into the late 1860s, early 1870s, the Northern District mining boom in Newfoundland starts to take off. And then this German baron gets an interest in it. He's in Nova Scotia at the time, and he's just rescued a bunch of German families. There's been a shipwrecked group of Germans, like there's 40 families, and they were on their way to immigrate into the United States when their ship is wrecked off the coast of Nova Scotia. Then, because he's German, they're his countrymen, and he's an industrialist. If you look into the towns mm-hmm. that he built, he's not just physically building the town. There's a building of the culture. Oh, we're not going to let people swear this company town rhetoric, which often in paper and mining towns. Then he's in a town called Betzkove initially, and then there's a find discovered in what would be Little Bay in the spring of 1878. At this point, this is just woodland forest. There's nothing there. No one lives there. The cartographer who's mapping Newfoundland at the time, because there's a lot of firsthand accounts, he revisits the place in July after being there a few months earlier and finds a town with 500 people, a functioning mine. The houses have been built. The wharf has been built. The stores have been built. A lot of these were German men that had been brought down from Nova Scotia following this baron. He had saved their livelihood, basically, in Nova Scotia and built a town for them there called Ellershaus. He sets up a town essentially for them. They're incredibly loyal to him. Those are the workers that he brings, and they basically create Little Bay from scratch. Over the course mm-hmm. of a very short period of time, just a couple of years, it rises to a population of over 2,000 people, which, as I said, was like sizable for Newfoundland at that time, and then doubly contrasted by its cosmopolitan nature and its high education standard. So then this becomes an international port. It gets attention of the, the colonies. And you start seeing like visitors, 19th century celebrities. I can put Prince George there. When you contrast this, what you're seeing today, which is this forgotten village with 100 people, it's almost hard to believe it. Like, I felt like it was my responsibility or a sense of purpose to draw attention to this and then bring as much of it back to life as I could. When I think of the Atlantic states of Canada, I'm thinking French and English, not necessarily German. So was there a large German population? It's essentially only there. The Newfoundland's not generally known for its German. And I'm sure somebody, if they're listening, is going to be like, well, actually, because it might be something I don't know about. But for the most part, it doesn't have a German history. This Betzkov and then Betzkov and Little Bay are basically the same place. They basically build and then transport the entire town population and buildings to another location. So it's almost like two different spots. It's essentially the same thing. So you have this German upper class, and they're uh, controlling the culture, you charge up things like you have mixed denominational religion, you have a real emphasis on reading and on theater culture. And a lot of these things are, again, rather unusual for the place and time. And then, and I guess it's around 1880, sales for the mine start. And then that's mm-hmm. finalized 1881, but it takes them a little while to switch ownership. It switches into an English firm called Matheson. And this is where I think the New Jersey tie in, because when, when I have initially wrote the piece on Walter Rowling. That piece was the only thing I had that was tying me to New Jersey. I started to look around a little bit with that in mind. So Matheson, and I don't have a lot on this yet. This is a very new angle for me. But Matheson had a smelting company or ties to a smelting company in New Jersey. I think it's called the New Jersey Extraction Works. They're improving the smelters in Little Bay to improve the refinement process from the English takeover. And because they already own a smelter in New Jersey, a man called William Maliphant comes up with, I think it's 40 men that he brings with him from New Jersey. And then they live in Little Bay for about two years. 
before leaving and then in returning to Aeon. That's the tie there. That's the city that they had come from. And I haven't been able to put names to any of them yet. Walter Rowling's then ending up down in New Jersey in that same city, which initially was just one of the random places that one of these people had gone, where he would have been the driver in Little Bay, giving these people essentially rides in a taxi horse. And, but now he would have known the upper class. He would have known these men, right? Now he had all these friends that would have been in that city. Now he's deciding to move to New Jersey to the same spot that they are a couple of years later makes a lot more sense. Hi, this is Barbara from Heritage Hunters. Often in genealogy, the women in our lineage are lost. They've married and changed their surname and are eventually lost track of. Why is this? According to Family Tree Magazine, prior to the 20th century, most historical records were for and about men. Property was usually listed under the man's name, and men ran businesses and the government. Meanwhile, a woman typically changed her name each time she married, and children carried men's surnames into the next generation. Our new website is dedicated to the ladies in our lineage. Here is a place to memorialize them and honor them to ensure that they're never lost to history. If you would like to submit a biography of one of your female ancestors or relatives, please visit the website ladies-lineage.com and click the Submit Your Story Here button. How interconnected are the families from Little Bay? But I'm going back, and again, you have to think about the differences in population size, first of all. right? You're talking about a town today that has 100 people versus, again, over 2,000. You have a couple of things happen around the turn of the century, right? The price of copper drops, there was a cave-in in the mine, and a couple of back-to-back fires wiped out the town. So now they're going to be rebuilt, but there's no reason to rebuild because the central industry is gone. First, a decline in population, then a really sudden drop-off. The population that stays behind switch into fishing. But for the most part, they're not coming from your upper class, right? For the most part, you're going to have lower le- levels of literacy, le- way less media coverage, which is why for the most part, the thing gets reduced into something of, a hor- of an oral history that gets passed down from the people that are waiting for essentially for the mine to restart again. Again, there's a transient nature to a mining town just in general, right? So it's going to have booms and busts and people are going to come and go. You're going to have that kind of sway. Obviously, we have the departure of the Germans, which affects other things. That said... When I'm tracing some of these families, like obviously the families that stayed behind are interconnected with each other because they're still there. But if you look at some of the ones who have left, oftentimes I'll have, and this comes down to the scope of my research, where I'm dealing with so many families at the same time, look at a location. Sometimes I'll find a picture, for example, like a photograph that will come to me from two different families' collections. It'll be the same photograph. So then I'll have to go back and look at those families and I'll see that they were friends or that they intermarried at some point when you have an explanation for how this thing got copied. The connection between those families, for some of them, they stay basically together, even if they depart from location, you'll get letters and such back and forth. The tricky thing with Little Bay, generally, not just from my research, because I would say like I'm the person who comes to this now and tries to look at it culturally and try to understand the culture. I kind of see it as almost like a lost media project where I'm trying to bring this thing back to life. That said, I don't want to say nobody else has ever looked at this. You get a bit of research mostly coming from geology. So geologists obviously have an interest in the history of the mine. My research is going to be different than theirs, but what I'm interested in, of course, is the culture. 
Do you have a website or a blog? Well, I have a website, which is thehistoryoflittlebay.com, which essentially it's a blog where I play with my ideas and post things. I like doing this publicly because it allows me to make mistakes that people will call out that I can then fix, like lacking a peer review process. It's nice to be able to publicly just put yourself out there and if you mess up, so be it. That's all done through my Facebook page for my research, which it's also called History of Little Bay or The History of Little Bay. And I would say, in terms of trying to get this out there, and I get that some of this, I guess, comes back to the benefits of me coming at this, I would say, from a different academic discipline. Because, and I don't want to say nobody else ever came up with this method before. I'm sure somebody has. But what I do for original sources is combine a genealogy with a snowballing technique from sociology, which is essentially you meet a subject and they lead you on to the next subject. So what I'll do is I'll build a genealogy of one of these historical figures. I'll get them down into a current living descendant. And then it's essentially the same way I caught your attention. I'll post that in whatever genealogy groups or I'll make contact through my heritage or ancestry to get a hold of the people who are interested in that family. And basically, look, I have a whole bunch of stuff on your family approach from a totally different angle. Would you like it? And about one in, everyone's happy to get it, but about one in, I'd say 10 people are either they themselves or I have an aunt or something like that who's like really into this. And that person's where you're going to get your first hand accounts and your first-hand stories and your pictures and your oral histories. Then I put those all into a really large database called in a system called Tropy, which then I'm able to tag them all. And then I can take those first-hand accounts and newspaper references and stuff. If I have a last name I haven't done yet, say, and someone's like, can you look up my family? I just plug it into my existing database and all my references pop out in chronological order. Can you share with me one of your more favorite stories that you've unearthed by doing this? Oh, there's some really good ones. I had one family that I was talking to, and Boyden is the last name. The character was Otis Boyden. And I hope they're listening to this because what they're working on is really cool. I had him in town. I had very few references to him, but I knew that he was a photographer. And of course, trying to find a photographer is valuable because you'll get pictures of the town. When I started working on the person, I ran into somebody who was already doing work on that family. The oral history in that family was absolutely fascinating. This Otis Boyden, according to the oral history of that family, had left BC and they were charged by Prime Minister John McDonald's, the first Prime Minister of Canada, to travel across Canada taking pictures of the different provinces. Because at the time, the provincial identities were bigger than the national identity. They wanted to show each of the provinces how amazing the different provinces were. When they get as far as Newfoundland, of course, at that point, Newfoundland has not joined Canada yet. We're the last to join. It's much later in time. It's a British colony separate from the Canadian country. When he gets to the edge, his brother turns back to complete the mission. But he decides he's going to venture as far as Newfoundland, which is where he ends up you know, marrying and then settling down and staying in Newfoundland. All I had were a couple of references to this person, but the oral history like, opens up an absolutely fascinating piece. And through our dialogue, we were talking about, because the, the brother's collection of photographs are like part of like a famous Canadian 19th century photograph collection, I think it's out of BC, but Otis's photography is not known at all. I was able to take some of the photographs that were taken when I knew he was there, right? Because I knew mm-hmm. he was in front of mine. And I could look at some of the buildings and stuff and get a timeline. And I could narrow in when some of these were taken. From that, we were starting to see a style like, in contrasting the two types of photography, where there would be like a subject in the foreground of the image. I can't say definitively, like, this is an Otis Boyden photograph, but like, you can make an argument for it. 
<laughs> I should probably make a point of plugging the town because I've been at this for about seven or eight years now. But in the last year, it's really started to get some attention locally. And Little Bay, again, a huge praise to Little Bay's current mayor, Phyllis Sims. There's a lot going on out there right now. They've organized a Heritage Society. There's a Heritage Day coming up in August. They've opened a hiking trail called the El Dorado Trail. It's going to have its official opening at the Heritage Day in August. It's beautiful to see, and it's important that we find these things and we connect them and we explore them. It's such a small place, but because it was so much bigger, there's so many people that came out of there. And the more I can get this out into the world and get this international attention as I get to where these people went, the more people that are going to be interested. The story of this town has been largely lost. I was like, I'm able to tell you what your ancestor was doing, like who their friends were, what movements were happening. And I guess it's an outcrop of what I do, but it's lovely that I'm able to give people that. Absolutely. And thank you so much for spending some time with me tonight and plug your website one more time. Oh, so historyoflittlebay.com. And I guess the best way to get a hold of me is through the Facebook page, which is also called The History of Little Bay. If you like history, you'll probably find it interesting. I can't wait to follow along with it and see where it leads. The fires destroyed the mining documents. So a lot of the original material was lost. I'm able to reconstruct it because I'm able to get outside and get into the newspaper archives and stuff that have been digitized. But with this New Jersey Smelting Works connection now, these 30 families, that trip on the New Jersey side was probably, those documents might still exist. So if there's anybody studying Bayonne, hopefully looking at the history in that time that stumble across either the smelting works, employment documents, or a newspaper article connected to that, I would love to hear from you. Are there specific surnames that you're looking for? You no, know, at this point I have William Maliphant, who is the man who's in charge of them, who I can't say definitively came from New Jersey. And there's a man named Cardwell who had been sent up from New Jersey on another project at the same time, which is probably connected. But as for the working class man, that's a big black hole and I'm hoping to be able to find more on. So there you go. Call to arms. If you know anybody from the Bayonne area, working class, smelting, get in touch with Ian. I really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with me tonight. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us today on Heritage Hunters. This has been a CNC production recorded and mixed by me, Barbara May. We would like to thank our guests for sharing their genealogical experiences and personal stories. Be sure to visit us on our webpage, heritage-hunters.com, and our many social media pages such as Facebook, Twitter, Locals, and more. Please leave us a review, like our page, and follow us to be sure to never miss our show. If you'd like to be on the show or have an idea for an upcoming episode, please email us at 2heritage.hunters at gmail.com. And that's the number 2, heritage.hunters at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Remember to like and subscribe to our podcast. We hope you'll join us next month on Heritage Hunters.
this has been a CNC production.